0: hi guys here we are today with eduardo martinez uh, co-founder and ceo at tokyo uh, uh, great to have you with us eduardo how are you it's amazing thank you very much for having me actually good and uh, i believe i'm correct in saying that you're currently in madrid at the moment
1: yes i'm still enjoying the sunshine even if it's uh, a little bit after the summer uh, yeah i commute to london quite often but i'm in madrid at the
0: moment And again, I I believe I'm correct in saying that you have your headquarters based here um, in the city of London? Yes. So uh, let, let me jump into it. So again, what is Tokyo? And what is it that you guys are actually building?
1: So we are a SaaS platform. So basically, as you know, changes in regulation, changes in technology. What is enabling is a lot of different startups, a lot of different companies and financial institutions to operate in ways that they couldn't do before. So you have companies like payments companies, FX companies, you have banking as a service companies. But whenever a corporation or a, a traditional financial institution is trying to take advantage of all these new ecosystems, they find a bunch of APIs. And they have to become a technology company themselves to be able to use all of that. They need to implement a solution. They need to implement a platform. They need to implement it. And we are actually taking all the burden against them. So we have created a SaaS platform where they can configure a fintech proposition in a very easy way. And it's sitting on top of a marketplace because we are not looking at replacing this amazing ecosystem of traditional and new fintech uh, companies, but we are embedded in uh, in our platform. So our customers can take and use their products and services to build their own proposition.
0: So is Tokyo largely a supplier to the fintech sector or are you but, a fintech yourself?
1: So it, it's well, a supplier okay. and a partner. And we like to be called a partner because interestingly enough, our our ideal customer profile is financial institutions. We have been working with fintechs, startups, but we also work with very traditional financial institutions that they know they need to digitalize the products and services, but they didn't have the capacity or even the money to do so. So actually we are a much more effective way to do that. But interestingly enough, once they digitalize their products and services in our platform and they use it to deal with their customers, they realize that they can place their products and services in our marketplace. So we act as a sales channel for them because all the people and all the customers can actually take those products and embed them on their solutions to expand their capabilities. So suddenly we become also a growth channel. So we are not seen only like a a platform for a, a technology provider, but we are also seen as a marketplace. And we are very much inspired on the Salesforce model for sales. And we want to be the sales force of the
0: financial industry. I get that. So again, essentially your goal is really to make it simpler for companies to build their own FinTech
1: propositions and to digitalize them and to expand their products and service capabilities. Yes.
0: And and in terms of, in terms of like the the FinTech sector, how do you guys really stand out now? Like what is it about your product and, and the way in which it works that is such an attractive proposition for, for these companies? So, one of the things that we have
1: seen, and our, as I was mentioning before, our ideal customer profile, it's financial institutions. Yeah. So let me put it that. Financial institutions, which are non-banking financial institutions, so let's put the banks aside, although we are starting to work with them a little bit, but they're, they're, they're a different beast to deal with. So let's work with the, with the financial institutions. Funnily enough, there are a lot of them. So the, the, the market in, in Europe is over, I think it's 400 trillion. that is happening in alternative financial institutions. Moreover, when you go to the B2B space, so we're we're talking about financing purchase orders, international trading, so there is a lot of financial institutions. All these financial institutions, for many, many years, they have been providing one service to their customers, and this is what they're really good at. Funnily enough, today, with everything that is at hand, not making that service as a standalone service is no longer competitive. So what they need is what we call bank-grade solution. So bank-grade means like a bank. So you have access to accounts, you can have access to payments, some people have access to cards, some people have access to a front-end like a bank that they can deal with their customers. So they need to expand their products and services. And they use us to do so. So they digitalize their product on our platform and they take all the products that we have built that they can actually deploy their own banking solution. Does it mean that all our customers are launching a neobank? No. Some customers are doing in-house banking. Some other customers are doing a, a new bank. Some of the customers are using us for treasury. So you have a lot of different payments, a lot of different clients, a lot of different structure. And we, we managed to simplify all of that into one single center. So they use our the use cases change and vary, uh, but uh, where we specialize the most is in B2B mainly and b 2 b to b so we are not that strong in consumer, although we have some consumer propositions. But on the corporate and business world and SME world, we are very strong.
0: So, uh, are you essentially allowing the financial institutions to white label your product?
1: They white label my, my work product, mm-hmm. so you will never see a word product on the market. So you will see it if I, you're I, building the, uh, if, you, if you're building a fintech proposition on behalf of a corporate or a financial institution because our configuration portal is branded to (laughs) And that's it. So imagine WordPress. So nobody would ever think about actually, I'm going to build a website from scratch. You go to WordPress or Magento, whichever order. We are the same. You come here, you just start drag and drop, you start building your own FinTech proposition, and then you launch it. But it has your colors, your, your, your look and feel, your proposition,
0: everything, it belongs to our customers, not us. And you talk about on your website, you talk about no code. Yes essentially but again doesn't it make it much trickier because it's essentially it's you're enabling um people in the fintech space in the financial services space rather to um not rely on on code in the way that they would traditionally do so but then in addition to that by white labeling it is it not more challenging to also then build the tokyo brand because you've got a really cool name you've got a really cool brand how what's your go-to-market strategy and how does it change
1: Okay. Maybe. So let's go to one step at a time. So we need to build our brand with our target customers. So let me say, so financial institutions and corporations, we're working with corporations that are acting as a financial institution, that you would be surprised how many large corporations from telcos to utilities to other, they have been financing their suppliers or financing the customers for many, many years. And and now they are managed to finance them in a much more efficient way. So uh, without having to launch a bank or anything like that. So we need them to know us, like the same way you know Salesforce. So if you go one or two to to British Airways or Iberia at the moment, and you go to the website, it's actually built on Salesforce. The only way you can see it is if you refresh it quickly a few times, you're going to see that the Salesforce logo actually appears on the back, on the top of the screen, but that's it but it's completely branded British service, it's completely branded Iberia. And you don't see that there's actually Salesforce on the back of it, because the people who need to know that Salesforce is actually the corporation that is behind that solution. So we are exactly the same. So for us, we, we launched a new bank here in Spain, which is Crealsa. Uh, they are financing uh, sole traders and small businesses for over 20 years. They launch a new bank to continue financing in a much more effective way. So a caveat here, imagine before, uh, to finance an operation. It used to take 82 to five day, hours to five, six days. Now with us, they can get the money in their bank account in three minutes. So that's a huge, massive value proposition. Yeah. They managed to digitalize it with bank rate solution and everything like that. People doesn't need to know that Tokyo is behind it. Crealsa does.
0: Sure, sure. I guess it's the same way, you know, we use our smartphone, we use our computer. I mean, I, I use a MacBook and I use an Asus Zenbook Pro, but the graphics card inside the zenbook is uh i'm pretty sure it's nvidia right um yeah. again most people don't don't need to know that nor will they ever know that to be fair um but by the, by the kind of architecture of apple does sure 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 touche yeah but and again it's it's obviously it's a it's a very exciting journey you guys are on um what what is your background and, and what's the background of the founding team how did you guys get to this point where you all came together to actually build this company
1: so in phases so on a previous life i was a strategy consultant in london at some point in my life i have a conundrum i was actually being promoted very fast and i was doing really well Uh, and i i I was sitting they 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 put me into a fast path for uh, senior executives to actually become faster uh, leaders and future leaders of the world. Was
0: it, was it in banking?
1: It was strategic. I was, it, it changed it because uh, I was there for 10 years, almost nine years. So at some t- point in time, I w- we were working in banking. So I was talking of working in financial services, which is what it's called. And at some other points, we were working in horizontal. So I was working in how to reach customers. So I, I was talking in marketing, customer digitalization. Remember, uh, I'm not that young. Uh, Therefore, uh, at the time, it was not the internet, it was voice, and then the internet is starting to happen and everybody was transforming the way they were doing it. It was at the beginning of the 2000, I know the internet was before that, but the way companies are dealing with their customers has been transformed, that recently has been transformed in the last 20 years. And we were actually working uh, on that. So it depends uh, on the periods, but yes, I was in financial services. And over there, I met uh, Mike Galvin, which is my co-founder, and it's uh, the chief commercial officer. We were working there together. So at some point, as I said, they sent me to this training in Chicago. I was actually studying over there. And then I did, they told me, well, what inspired you in life? Said, I want to create a business. I want to create something I'm very proud of. I want to do things differently. I've always been. So I don't know if we can actually see this a pain in the ass for everybody, because I always wanted to do things in a different way. And, it, it, and it's like, I want to do it my way. I want to be. And at some point, it's like, when they told me, okay, what have you learned in Chicago? Uh, are you going to come here? Are you going to inspire a lot of other people in, Accent, in, Accent, in the company I was working for? And I say, not really, I'm leaving. And I was like, what the hell? So yeah, I, I think I want to create my own business. I really don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to create my own business. And this is where it all started. So uh, my, they tried to co- have Mike to convince me to stay because he was working with me. He was my boss, actually, at the time. And I convinced him to live with me. Um uh, your boss. He was my boss, yes, at the time. And you convinced and, him to leave. Yeah, and now it's the other way around. You see things-, that's things a, like, Yeah, things, that's amazing. Things, things actually change. Now, he's my co-founder, uh, one of my best friends, and chief commercial officer, and uh, I'm the CEO. So it uh, that happened. So we started our journey together. At some point, we created another startup in London, which was called Geniac. Uh, we would digitalize in SMEs. So what we saw that we did so efficiently for large corporations, when we went, we went to the SME world, we suddenly realized SMEs are extremely inefficient. Mm-hmm. So we thought, okay, we need to create a software to make it more efficient. Okay. And that's what we did. And over there, was our first technology startup. Um, we made a few mistakes. I will go later on if you As want you and to, ex- yep. and to explain it to that. And at the time we hired our um, head of technology, head of a product, uh, we had our, uh, we went to one of our mistakes. It was uh, not paying enough attention to the people and culture. So VP of people and culture, uh, some of the, our senior front-end developers and everything like that. And then we sold the business to Randolph. So okay. It was a successful exit, although it was a failure for us because uh, we didn't build the business that we wanted to build. Sure. We sold it because we made a mistake of putting technology and services together. So we were not scalable for venture capital. So we have to go for corporate investment, fine. So we went to that, and then when we left, we took all the team, our CTO, CPO, BP of people, some front-end developers, and we're all the founding team of Tokyo. Not only actually we came together since the previous business, but also we learned a lot and we spot the opportunity of actually creating Tokyo as a result of that.
0: So again, okay, so you've got the team. How long ago was this, by the way? So we started in Giniac 2012.
1: We sold Giniac in 2017, 2000, December 2016.
0: And then again, and then did you jump into Tokyo straight away, essentially? No. It, right,
1: okay. No, no, no. We had to stay one year on guardian leave. Sure. Um, some of the people stay on their business. Right. I became a proud father of twins, so I decided to take a few, few, a few months off. And How old are they now? Five years old. They're five years old. Yeah, they were burning really? in December when when I lived in. I was actually supposed to work for longer when they acquired the company. But I had to leave because I went on paternity leave and I never came back. And uh, I was meant to leave uh, in any case. I didn't want to stay. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I, do, I didn't want to fit back into a corporate. I love corporate. Said eh? nothing to do with it. It was not for me. And, uh, okay, and then in 2018, way. 19, we kick off Tokyo. We recovered all the team, and here we are again.
0: And I mean, again, you know it's evident or not evident but it's becoming more and more um noticeable how every company is in some way or shape or form becoming a fintech company right we're even seeing like companies like apple that are like entering this space now um it makes it more challenging for the fintechs but also um partners to the fintech company so as a ceo as someone running a company such as Tokyo, how do you approach coming up with like new innovations? How do you lead? How do you come up with new ideas? And how do you then evaluate what the right products are for you guys to build?
1: this is a really good question. So there, there is a few things. Uh, first of all, at the moment, although our aspiration and vision is to be this platform, that if you want to build something fintech, even if you're a bank, don't build it from scratch, like nobody builds a new CRM from scratch, go to Tokyo, uh, at the moment, we need to focus, And I mentioned before, we are focusing on the B2B, mainly on the trading and lending industry, and we see what do we need to do to improve the processes that are actually in, in that industry. So what are the challenges those companies are having? So they were having a challenge to reach bank rate solutions. They were having a challenge to, if they need to expand the products and capabilities, and I will put a, a, a real example later on so we can actually make it a little bit more tangible this. I need the best provider so we look who is the best providers in the market who are the best banking a product who are the best fx providers currency cloud blah, blah blah who are the best uh payment and we just put them on our marketplace and then we see okay this is what our customers are trying to achieve which most of them are in the same industry this is the pain points that they are having and this is the gaps that they don't have let's build but let's not build the final solution for them and this is very important. Let's build the tools to enable them to build the final solution, either with no code or with very little code. So we still have code. So we still have some low code. It's impossible to remove code completely. But what we're trying to build these tools that they, have, they can use less and less, at the very least for the most complex stuff, that code, and they can actually do it in a much more uh, friendly and faster way. So payment orchestration, payment payment firewalls, okay? all these things that for them are so important, that we can actually enable an easy way to configure all of that That in another way it will take them years to build and millions of euros to maintain so we give them the tools so they can improve that journey once we put that into the market and they start buying it and everything of course they come with more demands we see where the market is going at the moment we are catching up with it so we are always being in the best state-of-the-art solutions on the market into our platform I wouldn't say we are creating our own unique solutions besides the fact that we are building a platform that enables them to build the the best solutions in the market because actually they are supported by FinTech institutions. Ideally, in the future, we can also help and start working with partners to innovate on those. But at the moment, our main innovation is enabling them to build a platform that otherwise they would never be able to build themselves.
0: Yeah, sure, and I I get that. I I think that one of the biggest mistakes that, um founders can make is they think they have to be the first right they have to get ahead of the competition the truth is you don't have to be the first you have to be the best and your product has to be substantially better and sometimes what that means is actually taking a step back and just learning what your comp- competition is doing and actually analyzing the mistakes seeing what um uh, what areas that they've missed um and yeah. using that as a as a platform to really work out what the best experience will be for the user.
1: That's a very good analogy, actually. Uh, coming back to the Salesforce and everything. So I think some of the more established competition that we have, Immunos, Backbase, they have, do you know, uh, in the industry, the ERP, ERP approach, No, SAP civil. So you have these huge, massive installations on premise. You need a consultancy company spending millions to actually put a deployment of one of these solutions. And then what actually Salesforce managed to disrupt at the beginning of the 2000 is, you want a CRM, you don't need to go through a one and a half year consulting program to install one of these very complex packages. As it's on the cloud, it's easy to use Use it. So our competitors were more like the old ERPs with a lot of legacy, that is still are very much focused on one client, one tenant, let's deploy a huge solution, let's put a lot of different consultancies on top and deploy it. We are much more is, do you want to launch a bank? The quickest bank that we launched took us six days from the first call. Nice, So, and that's the approach. You no, know, we are taking an approach that everything is simpler. Then again, then you go to talk to the same example. Crealsa, they were going on a journey to spend two and a half million euros in developing a platform and one point five million euros for the first MVP. It was going to be twenty four months. I always explain to people, this is very important. Build it, thinking that you're going to build something on budget and a schedule is one thing, doing it is another. And then once you have built it, you will be surprised that you need to keep on evolving it, that things fail, that you need to keep on improving it. That thing costs. So it's not that you build it and you stop. And then if the platform is perfect after two years, one of the things that you need to realize is that the market keeps on evolving. So you're going to be outdated very quickly. if you're do not continue improving it. So it's not just the cost of building. But in any case, they were going through that journey. When they came to us, they couldn't launch in seven days that they launched in six months for a third of the less than a third of the price.
0: That's pretty impressive. Well why? why?
1: Because they just have to develop a few things, everything else was already given. all the partners were there, so they could do the drag and drop, plus some coding, and they could launch the solution. and they're still with us.
0: so Okay, it, it sounds crazy, like the way you're describing it, because essentially what you're saying is you can launch your bank with simplicity. Yes. Right. Okay. But it's not only banks
1: that we're launching, eh? but these bank-grade solutions, yes.
0: And and so, but what, what does that mean then for the future? Like, what, what does what does the future of capitalism look like with, with these sort of solutions where actually, you know, you don't need to spend three, four years. What we've done, what we've spent, I was saying to Jan, my co-founder yesterday, we we spent the first three years making mistakes, right? And 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 again, it was, it was my fault completely. Uh, and and then, and then you stop making mistakes, or you still no 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 oh, no. We, we're no. we're we're making bigger <laughs> mistakes now, but at a better. It was, it was it was what I am going to say.
1: You no? Know? small companies, small mistakes. Big companies.
0: I'll tell you one thing that's quite interesting. We said before you said about how you know you would never be you know no company would ever look to build their own CRM. I stupidly did. I actually thought, (laughs) actually, let's just go and build our own CRM, you know, because I wanted, I'm a big believer that, especially like the fintechs, the financial services companies, they've spent so much money on developing products, they've borrowed, they've not borrowed, they've raised capital, and it's been very easy for them to do so. Personally, I don't think it's going to be that easy to um, raise capital for the next few years, at least. And I think that actually what a lot of companies have failed on is how do they monetize? How do they bring on new clients? And I think that from my perspective, um, we've kind of tried to reverse engineer it. We've said, actually, let's get a little bit of money. Let's get some clients, get more money, get more clients and build it very, you know, essentially we own the company completely. We own Rayon completely ourselves. Um, But I think that in the future, I'd like to think that there will be more companies like ours who kind of go through the grind at the beginning and then they're able to scale it and then they can control the business. But it sounds like that you're almost offering, and maybe I'm overselling it or overcooking it, but, you know, it sounds like you're almost offering like a one size fits all solution. You're saying, actually, you, c- you can build your company without having to make the mistakes that a lot of a lot of companies do make.
1: So let, let, let's step back and uh, a second. At the end of the day, financial services, financial institutions, they do what they do, which is uh, manage lending, manage credit, which is a difficult part of it. So if you think, let, 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 let's go through the history. You think about the bank. If you go 100 years ago, you used to go to the branch. You used to say, okay, I want to withdraw 10 pounds from my account. And there was a, a person over there with a big book so, okay, who are you? Okay, fantastic, I go through the book, I, I, I take a note on the entry, you have the money, I did that, I stamp it, and I give you the money. You fast forward 70 years, and basically you were going to the same branch, and you were finding that same person, slightly older, with a computer. And instead, instead of going through the book, they were actually uh, doing all the coding and everything they got on the computer, and they were giving you the money. Today, you do it yourself. Okay, You do it yourself on the web or on uh, on the ATM, but you still do it yourself. Funnily enough, now the work is on you. So what they have done is digitalize their services, but as they were 20 years ago, because they are not technology companies. This is what, they, what I believe they have missed the most.
0: WFI. They are
1: banks, and what they are good at, financial institutions, which could be in payments, in trading, in doing the best effects, in, what their best is at that, but the market has forced them to become technology companies and invest billions of euros to become competitive as a technology company. But we don't think that should be the way. So what we are leverage is the playing field. So even if you don't have a lot of money, you can digitalize an amazing proposition provided that you are amazing on what you're to best. You still have to do that. I'm not going to replace that from you. You still have to be an amazing bank or you still have to be an amazing financial institution. What I'm going to avoid is you having to spend thousands and billions in digitalizing yourself. I'm going to make it effective for yeah,
0: okay? yeah.
1: And I'm, But still, you need to be an amazing financial institution.
0: No, and, and again, I think that comes down to like two things one, customer service, right? And including protecting your customers, and inevitably, you know, the returns, right? The product. Um, and, and, well, and then
1: the risk management and the lending is definitely red lending is risk management, and trading is big, greater trading, which I don't know exactly what it implies, to be honest. But uh, so it, there is a, a, a lot of things. Uh, that they need to be best at and we just enable that and the better services to the customer
0: sure and do you know i i think actually there's a lot of like these like legacy financial institutions that i guess would jump at the opportunity to have a solution like you guys because and i mean this respectfully but they're they're most like fine i'm gonna say most likely i've actually worked for some of them where they've just got very good products or like above average products um They've got an absolute beast of a company in terms of a go-to-market strategy, in terms of sales, but they have never really had to invest in the financial, uh, the technology, the infrastructure. And I think now, you know, these are institutions that manage hundred, well, tens of billions, and one of them I think manages now hundreds of billions. Um, you know, they're now at a point where they need to implement some form of technology, or at least the right technology along with the right company culture in order to maintain some form of relevance. And those are,
1: are, are our sweet spot of a customer.
0: Yeah. So yeah. we have
1: two ones. The ones that are starting the journey now, and we also have some now, funny enough, that they already started the journey years ago. They built their own solution mm-hmm. and they hate it. So they're spending a lot of money. They have a lot of issues with it. It's almost really, really difficult to actually keep on improving it. So. Although, so we have, a, I'm not going to say the name, but they have a customer that they saw as the platform. And he's like, oh, so you built this on the 80s. No, no, we just built it five years ago. Oops. So it's, it's outdated the data that actually is being delivered. It's, it's yeah. incredible, no? It's, and they see our solution like a much more effective way to digitalize it themselves. Again, you are a law firm and you say, I'm not going to build my own world, Microsoft Word, because I want my own word. No, you're a lawyer. Well, you're supposed to be good as a lawyer and you need to write a paper, write it in Google Sheet, Word, or whatever you want. But it's, it's the content that matters. Here is exactly the same. But then there is another thing which is very important for them, which is what a lot of our competitors do not do. And this is what we are very specialized at. We work with a company that does invoice and purchase order finance. Most of the clients, or the suppliers in this case, or the people that are doing the financing, are in Asia. Interestingly enough, payment terms are 90 days, 100 days. So when you are financing that operation, it's three months. The cost of the international payment and FX was larger than the cost of financing itself. So when a supplier was actually thinking about financing the operation, it was more important to them saying, I don't care about the percentage of financing the operation, but how are you going to pay me? Because otherwise I can actually go to... Transfer and I can save the money there because it's too expensive. So what they are building with Tokyo is they still have the invoice finance capability with the lending in there, but all the payments and effects is extremely effective. So it's it's not a problem anymore. It's because in our marketplace we are producing partners that they can actually complementary to their services, they can enable a much better product. They still do invoice finance, but now in a very competitive way, because they beat all the competition by saying, listen, same rate as the competition but the cost of FX and payment is so low that actually you're making money by financing it.
0: And uh, so that's interesting because I I understand essentially what you enable companies to do is avoid technical debt. And there's huge value, right, in that, in the fact that actually, and again, as someone that runs a tech company, the main thing you really want to do from day one is have a culture where it's really avoid technical debt. And, that, that, and you know, that gives you a competitive advantage, but in terms of like the FX, et cetera, how how do, you, how do you get a competitive edge in that side of things?
1: Partnering with the best in the market. Go in and knock on the door and say, do you want, do you want clients? I have clients and thousands and thousands of accounts of people that are looking to do FX. Do you want FX? Currency cloud told us, yes. And now we're having a big list of people coming to us and say, yes, I want to be in your marketplace because." then your customers are going to take our products not only that your platform is great i can actually even sell it to my customers because my customers were looking for a platform like yours so it's a symbiotic approach so we can all go to market together
0: i was finding up i was talking with currency cloud very recently um and again another one of these companies that i think have taken quite a contrarian stance um on on the world of fintech and yeah, another company that I think is offering quite a unique solution. Um, do you guys, Emma, can I ask, I mean, do, do, who do you guys actually partner with? Can you name some of your partners or?
1: Yes, yes, yes. we have Bank, Mobular, Clearbank, EML, currency Cloud. We are looking at actually then for um, um, onboarding and KYB and KYC, CreditSafe, Informant, GrobanDyke. So there's a lot of different providers over there for a two, to Telmoni, Twilio. Then we have partners also for CRM like Intercom. So our marketplace is quite large and interesting in, the, in, the, in that sense. And interestingly enough, we just created a new proposition uh, where our customers can integrate their own solutions and their own partners. Uh, it's called the integration hub. Uh, and a lot of people are coming with, inter- trying to integrate their own propositions. And we are starting to see crypto. So we're starting to see actually customers in the B2B world, uh, because in the B2C, is a little bit but in the B2B world, they started to say, okay, I have a crypto platform that I actually can do this and that, and I would love to integrate it in here because I can actually get better FX rates. I can actually get the d- different models, each one of them, and they say, I want to integrate it. And we, we enable them to integrate it in our platform, use it for their own customers, and if they want to place it on the marketplace so we can go to market together.
0: Interesting. Look, actually, we're going to have to talk offline, I think, because uh, I I think I think that actually a lot of the companies on the Realm platform they're now getting to a point where they're raising capital um at the seed level. Funny enough, I was talking about it before. Um, I think ten to oh sorry, no, just over fifteen percent of the users on our platform they're looking to build their own uh fintech or blockchain company or their company the financial services sector and a lot of them to be fair have actually got a track record of success so they're they're getting funded so be interesting to discuss that with you but um i mean in in terms in terms of tokyo um actually before i forget who came up with the name oh cool name so
1: actually this is a very good story uh, short i promise uh, we were working on a previous company, uh, the different one, and we started in the investigating about blockchain. So I put my CTO and my, my uh, some of the developers and everything. like, it was a lot of noise. It was in 2018, I think it was, or 2017. And it's like, start building something in Ethereum, in blockchain, in Bitcoin. Let's see what is all this noise about, and let's see if we can do something. So I said, okay, we need a project now. So we were starting to actually say, okay, project name, what I going to call? And it's like, okay, because it's all about money, we need something that we can put like a dollar signs and you know, it's like a letter, which could look cool. And uh, what is it, it's the tokens. So the token, tokens, tokens, tok.io. And we try to buy t- tok.io, the domain, because as soon as I see a name that I like, I always want to buy the domain. <laughs> so you never know what is going to happen next. Yeah. yeah so, so and then I bought. it a there is no Tokyo on, on on with K, but it's with Q. Oh, Q looks quite nice. And we call the project like that. And I bought the domain. When we launched in 2019, the company was called Lum, not Tokyo. L U M, which is light in Esperanto. Okay, and we had the company like that. We like it. It was a very very sunny, <laughs> very beautiful air. and we like it, and we wanted it. And at some point a company called Loom raised $85 million from Google in France. And they say, by the way, we have the trademark and we're going to sue you. So you need to change your name. So going through the list of all the companies and domains that I had, we put Tokyo into it. And we do do customers exercise and market exercise. This is something i learned in the UK. You need to be extremely careful the way you write things and the way they're going to pronounce it. (laughs) Because you might think they're going to pronounce it one way. And they totally pronounced it in a completely different way that can get completely totally different. So we did a lot of it and everybody knew Tokyo and when it was more people remember it very easily. Oh, the company, the, product, the city. So it's a spell completely different, but it's like the city and that came and eventually everybody loved it. And that came the name of the company.
0: Yeah. I see. I love the name. It's a cool name. I actually, I, I also did um, a podcast with, um, one of the co-founders at shares shares.io. And I thought that's a great name as well.
1: Yes, it's fantastic. What a great name.
0: Um, I mean, and and I mean, again, f- focusing on on Tokyo, I have to say that um, you're you know you you come across as someone like very knowledgeable. You've obviously got tons of experience in the industry. Um, you know, you've been very like open with us. Um, how do you apply that then in your management style? What, what kind of manager are you? Um, and again, just to be completely transparent with you. I know I'm a nightmare, genuinely. Like, like my team, I, I have huge, like there's a huge element of love, huge element of respect between all of us, but I know I'm difficult to work with. Are you one of those? Are you easygoing? What's your style?
1: I wouldn't say I'm easy going. Uh, also, so there, there must be something good when people company after company or whatever go. I, I start taking more and more team and they keep on following me uh, to other places. So, I'm changing now my management style, and not for any other reason, is because before, as you said, there was love. We were 20 people. I, some of us, we have been working for over 10 years together, we know each other. We, I know what another person is thinking. I'm talking about something, and I see the face I say, okay, you're going to say this, this, and that. So, it was very, very easy. Now, we are over 100 people in the company. And now we are not management, we're executives. And we have a management team underneath us. And then there's all the teams and the team leads and everything, and the company keeps on growing. So the style has to change completely from, I was a tour and I love going into a lot of detail into everything. I was reviewing the requirements. I was not reviewing the code, Yes, I think it's the only thing I didn't review, but everything else that the requirements, I was like the best QA in the whole company. So everybody was so scared every time they released something because I, they were saying, okay, Eduardo is going to find the, the only error in the platform. So And now I cannot anymore. I don't have time for all that data. It's impossible. It's, it's, so I'm stepping back and actually relying more on my executive team. My executive team is relying more on their management team. And that's forcing us to change a little bit the way we, we used to work. There's also a huge massive thing that changes before everybody's aligned because you're just a few people and you have hundreds of people. Then you start having a lot of people actually doing things in the and We have offices in London, in Madrid and in Nairobi. So we have people where well spread across. We have more than 20 nationalities, something we are very proud of. Right. And, and we have almost 45% of women for a technology company. And it's absolutely also amazing. So really, really proud of all of that. Culture is extremely important for us, and people is extremely important. This is this is a talent business. If we, I don't have the best talent and the most motivated people, it's impossible that we're going to succeed building what we're trying to build. And um, so now the management style has to change in a way that actually communication, making sure that teams work together, even across different geographies, is changing the way I used to manage things. So the way I used to manage my business seven months ago has nothing to do with the way I'm transforming myself now to manage the business going forward
0: i get you i get you and i imagine that again being such a diverse company you probably have to take quite a different stance with like in different areas of the business um we have been diverse from day zero okay we
1: started the company six people and we already have like four nationalities and uh, it's something that we like a lot. Our CTO is a woman, uh, our VP is a woman. So again, we have almost 40% of our executive team also being women. So for us, it's very, very important. And we started like that. We believe in it. Do you remember we were talking about the issues? When I was in Geniac, one of the things that we thought is because I was coming from a consultancy that had a very strong culture, you actually think culture is a given. Then you start your own business and you start growing and with people. And then at some point, everybody's fighting, everybody's yelling at each other. Everybody hates each other. It's like, what the hell went wrong? And you realize how important culture is from the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, this is something I tell people. So normally people get a VP of people or HR. When you're 50 plus people, we got it when we were eight. It's part of the founding team. So... Why? Because it's so important, the culture. It's so important to create a good atmosphere and a good place to work. Good talent always have a job wherever they want. Moreover, now with people actually being able even to work virtually. Meaning if you want to get the best people in the market, you need to create a a company and an atmosphere and a culture that people want to stay in, that people want to thrive with that. And people need to pay attention to that from the very, very beginning.
0: I think... Yeah, I think that's one thing. Particularly our, our other co-founders. So there's there's three of us. Um, there's Emma and Jan as well. Um, and I think that's something that so Emma pretty much like recruits everyone that comes into the business. And she's got a very like gentle, kind nature, and that's kind of transformed into the people that we hire as well. Um, and I think it was about no, I don't know exactly when it was. It was like February 2021. Always get that confused because of the pandemic. We pretty much just went bankrupt. We lost everything. And I had to one by one fire everyone, as you do, right? Mm -hmm. They all refused to leave. They refused to leave. And that I put down to the fact that that Yarn, Emma, and I have created the right sort of environment where people believe in what we're doing. But I also put it down to the fact that actually Emma, our co-founder, was able to from day one to instill actually we're going to work with nice people. Because I've tried the other way, right? I've said actually if someone's really good, it doesn't matter how nice they are. It never ever works.
1: You are absolutely right. You you cannot believe more than small teams how disruptive some people can be. And you have the one person who is not with the right culture, when you're 20, 30, 50 people, even 100 people in the business, it's so disruptive. It can actually create so much noise pain into the business that actually can actually take it down. So 100%, pay attention to the culture, pay attention to the people that you get, that they're nice people. Opinionated, that's fine. People with the strong beliefs and everything, that's absolutely fine. But as you said, people that are respectful, people that are considerate, which is the most important... To all these ideas and their own and everything, it's one of the most important things.
0: And again, I mean, I, I have to say that, I mean, on that, I think that what we found is that I kind of said this earlier, someone, I, th- I think it's kind of that they, they kind of look out for each other, right? It goes beyond the realm of just work. It's like, this one's feeling down at the moment have you noticed should we speak to him should we make sure that you know she's okay and, and it's you know it, it's just having those that open dialogue and we say listen we know how hard it is what we're doing um you know what you know just so you know if you need anything we're here and i think that actually creates a very healthy environment and it builds for the future um i mean and in terms of the future because you know i am conscious of time so i'll, I'll make this our our last question but what does the future actually hold then for Tokyo? You've done so much in such a short space of time. Where do you want to see this company going? So at the moment we are in
1: the UK, it's so our main primary market and in Spain. We want to continue growing in our geographies. We are expanding to the rest of Europe. So France and Germany, next. We have some projects in the US. Uh, we were going to launch into the US now, but we're going to postpone it a little bit. We're going to continue reselling in the US, but we're going to have a light touch. It's at the moment with the markets, and you know it's it's not the best thing to gamble too much. Better to be a slightly conservative and see what happens over the next couple of years. So it's still growing the company and consolidating the product. Fortunately for us, we are well funded, so meaning we have a runway which is quite healthy. So what we need to do is actually create this amazing team. We were around forty people at the beginning of the year last year. Sorry, went twelve months ago, and now we are one hundred and ten. Meaning we still, there is a lot of things to grease up and actually make sure that we work like a perfect machinery and start growing and consolidating the business. But if you take me in the long term, we want to be a global platform. So we want to be everywhere. We want to go, we're already in Africa, but we want to be selling in Africa. We want to go to Asia. We want to go to the US, Latin America. We want to build a global platform and a global company that we are very proud of.
0: Well, look, we look forward to doing it. And I have to say, there's huge opportunity, um, especially in Africa. We're we're speaking with a lot of fintech companies in Africa at the moment. And I have to say, it's one of those markets which is just hugely exciting.
1: Indeed. I'm going to Kenya just on Monday. So I'm going to be meeting a lot of people and everything like that. So I'm looking forward to it. You go to to Kenya a lot? No, I'm going on Monday. Okay. So we have have offices and we have a Tokyo company in Kenya. We have around 20 people there. And, and, but I'm going to start going more often. Uh, uh, yeah, not, not a lot, but I'm going.
0: Okay. Kenya is my favorite country, by far.
1: Tips. I'm I going to be in Nairobi all next week, so oh. give me some tips. I would
0: love to. Je- happily. Happily, happily, happily. Um, Eduardo Martinez, um, C- uh, co-founder and CEO at Tokyo. been fantastic to have you with us today. Thank you very much. amazing
1: to be with you, Lauren. Thank, Thank you. Good to see you.